I describe preaching like this. It's like jumping out of a plane. Yeah, on the way there, you're like, oh, that's going to be pretty cool. Okay, fine. And then you're about to get there, and you're like, what am I doing? Why, why didn't I think this through? And then you're at the door of the plane, and you're like, oh, no, what am I doing? What am I doing? We might, oh, I should cancel this. I should cancel this, I'm sure. And then somebody pushes you out. Ah, and then you fall, and then the Spirit just does His thing. And He touches people's hearts. And then you get to the ground, and you're like, ooh, I want to do it again. <laughs> so preaching is sort of like that. But right now, I'm at the door of the plane. And I'm like, oh, God, what am I doing? Can we cancel it? We could just go have donuts, right? <laughs> no, we can't cancel it. Because God has an appointment with us. He wants to speak with us. So open up your Bibles to 1 John. That's the letter of 1 John. Don't get lost. Um, if by any chance you're starting to um, learn how to use a physical Bible and you, you brought one with you, there are instructions here upon the screen for you to find the book of 1 John, the letter of 1 John, more easily. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you and you want to use one of the, the Bibles we have in the pew, you can open to page 959 and you'll find it really fast, okay? Um, I really encourage you to, well, use the Bible in any way you would like it. But what I tell my teenagers back in Brazil and my university kids is that our culture obviously sees the benefit of using the Bible in our phones. It's just so practical, right? You carry it in your pocket. It always matches your style, right? <laughs> always. Um, but having a physical Bible really helps you see the Word of God as a whole. So they're all different books. It's a huge library of books. They have histories, but they're, they're placed where they are because of their style. So we kind of know what we're going to get from where we're opening up in the Bible. If it's in the Old Testament, the, the New Testament. If you have a, a physical Bible with you, it's going to be helpful for you to see the context of what you're studying to. So I really encourage you to invest some money in acquiring a physical Bible. And if you want to try to do that right now, you could use one of our Bibles uh, that we have in the pews for you. And page 959 is the page where you can go. So we're going to start a new series of messages on the book of 1 John, the John, John's first letter. And it's going to be called Back to the Basics. And this first message, we are specifically going to talk about fullness of joy. So the basics of the fullness of joy that Jesus has to offer us. Sometimes to understand something, you need to understand the negative side of it. So something that's not fullness of joy. I, I, live, I live in a beautiful town in the south of Brazil. It's called Curitiba. Curitiba is very cold for Brazilian standards. It's very cold, and it rains a lot. So there was this winter. Uh, my wife sent me, sent me on an errand, and I had to go down to, to downtown, to, to the center of Curitiba, and it was raining. It's difficult to find parking spots, but I found one, and I stopped the car in the middle of the rain. I took my key out of there, and as soon as I was going to leave my car in the middle of the rain, in the cold, 
I dropped my keychain and it fell right into the gutter and it went under the gray water off the street. I'm like, okay, I'll just buy a new car, right? <laughs> like, oh no! Then I had to put my hand in there, I got the keys out, I'm like, oh, God, okay. Not cool. But now imagine with me. This other guy just loses his keys. And he's walking in the park and he's looking around. Man, my keys. Where are my keys? Somebody looks at him. So what are you looking for? Looking for my keys. I'll help, I'll help you out. I have some time. And they start looking with this guy. And more people gather. What are you doing? We're looking for his keys. Wow, it's amazing. Oh, what keys are they? They're kind of black. And there's a keychain. Well, it's a set of keys. There's a pink one. There's a red one. Oh, okay, interesting. All right. Let's look for it. And then there's a whole football team there just running around, getting ready for the game. They're like, what are they doing? Oh, they're looking for a keys. All right, everybody, coach, let's help this guy out. We can do this. Ready, break. So then, now you got everybody looking for the keys, looking for the keys. And then there's that church group sitting over there. And then they're like, man, the church guys, they're not helping you. The church needs to help people. Why aren't they helping you? Like, oh, I know those guys. Uh, actually, I, I'm from that church. Really? Well, you don't want their help? No, I don't want their help. Why don't you want their help? Because they keep reminding me that I didn't lose my keys here. I lost my keys over there. But what are you doing here then? Well, the light is better over here. So... <laughs> Since the light is better over here, does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense, right? Why would I look for something in a place where I know I'm not going to find anything? We know where fullness of joy is. But sometimes we don't go to where we need to go. And sometimes, the body of Christ is the only voice saying, what are you doing there? And we just don't want to listen. We don't. Well, do you want to listen? It was about the year 85 or 90 after Christ. The Apostle John was already an old man. And from tradition, we don't have like historical records of this, but from tradition that was passed on, people would say that the Apostle John was such a kind old man. Uh, he was carried to church meetings because he was very old already. And he would, he would stretch out his hands to the people around him and say, little children, love one another. Little children, love one another. He was just that kind man. He has written the, the Gospel of John years before. And his ministry in the Roman province of Asia, it, it grew and, and many churches started being born in that area. And some of those churches are even cited in the book of Revelation. Remember the letters to the churches of Revelation? Well, they're fruit of John's ministry. Now, what was going on there was that heresy was starting to spring up in these churches. 
And some of the false teachers had convinced the people of these, of some of the people in this, these churches to leave the body. They're saying, no, this is not really the gospel. This is not really the message of salvation. Jesus isn't really the person you think he is. And from looking at the letter of 1 John, we can identify a few things that these people were teaching that was a plain old lie. They, they were all lies. They denied that Jesus was the Christ, the eternal Son of God. They denied that Christ had come in the flesh as a man. They denied the authority of Jesus' commands. They denied their own sinfulness. They denied salvation through the work of Christ. They denied absolute demand that believers would love one another. Now, we can find the elements of this heresy from the letter that John wrote because he was paying attention to these details and he was clarifying any doubts that were in the way. Now, John is such a kind man. And who here is studying the book of Galatians with us in, on, on Wednesdays? Let's see a hand there. Okay, okay. Yeah, Galatians is not like that. Paul is really mad. He's like, what are you doing? I am astonished. It's like he's beating up everybody from the beginning. John is not like that. And again, Paul wasn't wrong. He was right. But John just has this loving way of communicating things. The Word of God says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we bow our heads before your word. It is holy. It is powerful. And we are hungry for your word. We thirst for the living water of Jesus to be poured into our hearts through your powerful word. Holy Spirit of God, finding us good ground for your powerful seed to grow. We want to be changed by your word. Let us get out of here rejoicing in the fact that you have reached us and offered us the possibility of complete joy. Give us fullness of joy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So the big idea in this text is that fullness of joy is, the, is only found in fellowship with God and His family.
its fullness of joy is only found in fellowship with God and his family. First lesson comes from the first words. That which was from the beginning. First lesson is be still. God knows the plan. He's not caught by surprise. You know, when Adam and Eve, they sinned, it was not like God went like, oh no, what will I do now? And the Holy Spirit goes, oh God the Father, I, I got this idea. I don't think Jesus is going to like it though. <laughs> so what do you have? That's not how it goes. So we, we have a way of, of looking at the story of of history of Adam and Eve saying you know what I think God is just going to wind things back and make us all go back to that garden his plan is so perfect so perfect he's not merely going back to the beginning with history he's creating a better world through his eternal plan you see, in the beginning, he created an environment, and then he created the people to inhabit that environment. Right now, in our history, God is creating a new people. He's saving a new people to inhabit a new place which he will make, the new heavens and the new earth. The eternal plan of God was not trying to fix something. No, no, no. It's the eternal plan. And Jesus is eternal because God is eternal. And Jesus is God. The triune God in whom we believe has existed forever and ever. And not just that he has infinite days that go that way or infinite days that go this way. God is eternal in a way that he holds time and space in his hands. I could summarize this, imagining that this sheet was our universe. And let's say that this sheet, which is our universe, has a little stick figure. Let's call him John. So, since we're reading John. So, I tell John, John, go to the upper left-hand corner of your world, and he will go there. He gets it. I say, John, go to the center of your world. And John will go there. He understands it. But then I say to him, you know, John, go to the piano. And, and John's going to say to me, no, I can't go to the piano. The piano is an abstraction. It, it doesn't exist. It's just fruit of your imagination because this is my world. God holds history, holds time in his hands. He's not a slave to time. He's greater than time. His eternality is not just infinity of days. His eternality sets him apart as something greater than time itself. That's who Jesus is. He is the second person of eternity. He's the second person of the Trinity. 
And he invites us to live forever. But make no mistake, he invites us to live forever. Not to be him. And that sometimes is our mistake. We want to be Jesus. We want to sit in the throne. We want to say, you know what? I don't like this thing that you're doing in my life, Jesus. But I'm not him. When he stepped into our history, into our story, he decided that forever and ever he would live with us day by day. He who is fully man and fully God will live with us. And he did not improvise. This is the eternal plan. And one day you and I, once that we meet Jesus, we confess our sins and we put our trust in his sacrifice on that cross for us, we are invited into that eternity and we can enjoy him and glorify him forever. That's where fullness of joy is, not anywhere else. And the Apostle John is going to unpack this for us. First lesson is be still. God knows what he's doing. His plan is eternal. He's not improvising. Second lesson is take heart. Jesus came in the flesh. Jesus knows what it's like to be human. And the text says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, in the Old Testament, they had heard the voice of God. And then some people saw or foresaw the coming of Jesus. And they saw these manifestations of God throughout biblical history. But then one day, Jesus arrived in the flesh. John and the other apostles and the people that lived in those days, they touched Jesus. He was a real man. He wasn't some spirit that was flying around. He was real. The eternal God made himself a perfect man. And he knows what it's like to be tempted, like you and I are tempted. But without sin, he always said no to sin and yes to God. And the only one who never, ever deserved to die, because the Bible says that the wages for sin is death. Well, Jesus did not sin. He did not deserve to die. But he freely gave himself to die in our place. Now, perhaps you remember the story of Job. Job was a good man. He served God, but he began suffering. And through his suffering, God revealed himself to Job in a deeper way. In the end of the book of Job, Job says, I had only known you from hearing about you, but now my eyes see you. Maybe you heard about Jesus and you've been hearing about him for a long time, but you don't see him very well. And you don't feel him either because you have not repented of your sins. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, once you repent of your sins and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, 
the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And Jesus lives through the Holy Spirit also inside of you. How close are you to Jesus? Are you just hearing about Him? Seeing Him from afar? Or actually enjoying His presence inside of your life? Take heart. He knows what you go through. He's fully God, but He's also fully man. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what you're feeling. Third lesson, the text says, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Fear not. Fear not. For there is and there has always been eternal life in Jesus. If there's one thing that everybody fears is death. Nobody wants to get there. And if you have been close to somebody who is near death, it just, it breaks your heart. It's terrible. Death is the wages of sin, right? We're going to get our wages. But death will not have the final word over those who have given their lives to Jesus. He will give them eternal life. You don't have to fear death anymore. That's why you have these crazy people that have a perfect life where they are. They got a house, they got a car, nice family, and all of a sudden they go, you know what, we don't need this. We need to honor Jesus. Where isn't he know? Well, I heard in the Amazon there are tribes that need to know about him. Well, let's do that. That's why some people go, you know what? We have a nice ministry here, like a friend of mine. He had a really nice ministry, huge church in another state here in the United States. And then he found out that there was a city that had no churches preaching really good theology. And he said, you know what? This is not about me. This is about Jesus. He left that job and went to a really small church to rebuild it because it's not about us. It's about Jesus. When you lose the fear of death, you've got nothing to fear. Don't fear death. Jesus has conquered death. and He invites you to live forever. Fourth, the text says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Fourth, come to the table. Not many things gather a crowd like a beautiful table. Oh, the smell of the food, there's laughter, there's joy. Jesus invites us to be a part of the family. But some of us just want to watch the party from afar. Come near to the table. 
We can have fellowship, true fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. And it just doesn't stop there. We can feel a taste of what it's going to be like in heaven by the fellowship that we have with each other here. Don't miss out on having fellowship with your brothers and sisters. It's wonderful that you're here and that you're singing and that you're hearing the word. But do enjoy fellowship. Get to know people. It's a foretaste of heaven. Don't miss out on that. And it can be something that only Christians can feel. Because what makes us united is not a sports team that loses with frequency, if you root for my teams at least. It's not a job that can go south. It's not the <laughs> stock market. No, 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 no. What, what makes us one is the Holy Spirit of Jesus living inside of us. That's why we just feel at home when we find the people of God. When we got here to the valley a little over one year ago, we were going to another church and the plan was going to stay, like, stay in a big church, just disappear, hide, and study, study, study. That was the plan. Then when we got here, something interesting happened. It was the first time we were going to take the Lord's Supper in a church in America. And it was like Jesus sat beside me. You're home, Dan. You're going to be fine. And I took those crackers. I took that juice. I'm like, I'm home. Y'all are my family. You see, I am talking like an Arizonan already. I said, y'all. <laughs> We're family. And I'll tell you this. Wherever you go and you can find a church that worships Jesus, they're your family. Final lesson. Rejoice. Verse 4 says, And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Writing good things may sound like something that everybody is going to like. That's not how it goes with Christianity. You see, we will not be persecuted for our good works. We will not be persecuted for treating people nicely. And we do that, right? You do that, I hope. But yeah, people will treat us badly because of our message. Because of what we believe. Because of what we preach. And friends, we cannot give up God's favor for the favor of society. We have to preach truth. And truth sometimes will hurt. But we just keep at it. We do it lovingly. We do it wisely. But we preach the truth. We live the truth. We never abandon the truth. Now, we rejoice, but let's be honest. There are things in your heart that don't let you have full joy, right? Aren't some things going wrong? 
Aren't some things bothering you? And you're saying like, Jesus, okay, I really love you, but I wish this was happening and not, and not that. Well, in this life, we're always going to experience that. Because there's sin in this world. There's still sinful nature alive in us. The power of sin, oh, it's defeated. It's, it's not going to bring us down, no. But yeah, we still feel the effects of it, and we do sin. But we can always approach the cross. We can always approach Jesus and ask for His forgiveness. We start over, and we're fine. But there will be one day where He will wipe every tear from our eyes. A day in which sin will be no more. A day on which we will live forever. And not just live forever. We will live with Him. I don't know how many of you like science fiction. I really do. <laughs> really. So I, I won't take too much time on this. But please, bear with me, all right? So philosopher William Lane Craig... Uh, writing about this, he, he tells of an, an old science fiction story of an astronaut that uh, got stranded alone in an asteroid. And his plane, his plane, his ship crashed. And then he realizes that there's no way that he's going to be able to contact anybody. He won't be rescued. His ship won't go anywhere. And there's nothing on that rock in space. And then he falls into desperation. He's like, man, there's nothing here for me. Like, nothing. And then he opens up his bag. And he has two flasks, two, two vials. And one of them says that, it has, um, says that it has poison. It was like, well, poison, okay, deadly. Drink this, you're going to die, okay. And then he looked at another one, and it says, the flask of eternal life. And it was a flask that if you drank that, your body would gain such energy that you would never die. And then he's like, man, I'm stuck in this rock. There's nobody here. There's nothing for me here. And then he took the vial that said poison on it and chugged it all down. Sat down on the rock and said, well, at least I don't have to. And he looked at it again. And he had taken the wrong vial. He drank the vial that said eternal life. And then he was stuck in that planet forever. Friends, we don't need just eternity. We need God. We were made to live forever, but not alone. We were made to live with Jesus. We were made to live with his children. So why do you close yourself alone? Why do you watch the party from afar? Come to the table. Take heart. He knows what it's like to be human. Have courage. And don't let your soul be agitated and in anguish. Be still. It's the plan. It's going to work out. Trust your God. I invite you to bow down your heads. Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you for your word. It's so powerful. It changed our life in the past, and it keeps on changing our lives. This book is alive because you're alive, and your spirit is alive, and you're here now. Oh, Jesus, let us not think that fullness of joy is found in anything but in fellowship with you and your family. Lots of things will make us happy. But God, only your family, only you, will last forever. Jesus, help us. Because this world, yes, it distracts us. But we have a mission. We were called to spread the truth. It won't always be easy. But grant us courage. We need it. But we trust you. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.